ahead are a couple of worship songs and a sermon from New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. Hope you're blessed and learn and grow. Even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back, I know you are here. I will fear no
time with me to do that. Now, we are beginning today a separate sermon series. This is just two sermons, today and next week. And the sermon series is entitled, Please and Thank You. And I get part one. So you can imagine we're going to talk a little bit about please today. If it's please and thank you, and I get part one. We're going to talk about that today. So I, I'm going to give you two illustrations real quick um, to help you frame the text. And then 
Um, I, I once watched a sermon of a guy who said, you know, I'm going to stuff you like a turkey with verses. And I thought that was pretty funny at the time. And now it's Thanksgiving, and today we're going to have like 30 references by the time we're done. So to use an opportunity to flip your Bible pages and get more proficient or use your little electronic Bible on your phone or however you're doing it today. If anybody needs a Bible, they're not having our Bibles in the cafeteria address. If somebody just let us know. But if you just want to listen, there's going to be a lot, okay? So first, first illustration. Um, I have a number of grandchildren, uh, and I have raised some children. I have some that I'm still working on, and God's still allowing us to steward. And we have encountered the same problem with every child, every single one. In fact, children tell us what it is, everywhere. And this is what it is. They ask for something. May I have a cookie? Will you give me a dollar? Can I get a snack? Whatever. And you say no. And then what do they say? Please, right? So they ask again, but a some, theoretically somewhat more politely than they did the first time. Now they might say please the first time, and then still say please again the second time, right? But they don't say please sometimes until they have the no. Oh, so I forgot to say please. So if I say please, and then of course some adults do the wonderful thing of calling it the magic word. May I have a cookie? What's the magic word? You didn't say the magic word, so you give them and say please, and then they give them the cookie. Which then later, when they say to me, "Can I have a cookie?" And I say, "No, you can't have a cookie. You're having dinner in less than an hour." And they say, "Please," because it's the magic word, and every time I say it to so and so, they give me what I asked for, right? So we have this this thing of please that happens after the initial request, and it means, "But I really want it, and you should give it to me," right? There's no reason why you should be unreasonable. Also, in the world today, we have a thing where if someone says, please, by all rights, you should give them whatever they've asked for, honor any reasonable request of any person. In fact, you go on the internet and somebody asks you, please, or please, or whatever, and if you do that, then you'll find that it is just wrong. It is a sin. Like, it's, it's the ultimate evil. If they, if they spoke to you nicely and you didn't give them what they wanted, uh, then, you know, you're a villain. So, we have redefined this word much more deeply than you realize, and I'm, I'm going to show you by uh, a picture of this. And so I need somebody under the age of 18 to volunteer. Okay. So if you can get this little object lesson correctly, you're going to walk away with what's in my hand. <coughs> Not that. This hand. Oh. Okay. okay. So I need you to request from me this, whatever it is, however you want to fill it in. Okay. So you said, can I please have it? So now, by all right, what's right? Is that fair? He said pretty, pretty well. Good. Well, yeah, we're, but we're not going to make him beg or anything. Like so he's that kind of thing. Do you know what he actually asked me? Does anybody know what he actually asked me? Arden knows. You can look it up on the internet. He's a cheap historian. So when we say please, it's just please, please, you know what? Please help me. Okay. So the, the dollar amount is odd and marked on the back of the card, by the way. Okay. So. We just discovered that something that's going to be really valuable in this sermon as we look at these texts, and I'm going to flip like crazy. I did not mark the references in my Bible, so we should all be able to kind of do it at the same pace. I'm not any better at flipping pages in my Bible than you are at flipping pages in your Bible. I will guarantee it. Okay? And so the first three references I'll give you in advance in case somebody wants to, you know, I'm, you know, flip, get, skip through or whatever, do them out of order, whatever. Mark 5.23 is the first one. Acts 8.34 is the second one, and Luke 14.19 is the third one. 
So first, in the New American Standard, I'm going to read Mark 5.23, okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a teeny bit of background, but it isn't much. Uh, we don't really need a lot to see what we're going to see, okay? So Mark 5.23, Matthew, Mark, second book of the New Testament, 5.23. Okay, here we go. It says, in Mark 25.3 in the New American Standard, And he entreated him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please... Come and lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. So this is the guy whose daughter's dying. He's talking to Jesus, right? She's at the point of death. Please come. Does anybody here have a New American Standard Bible that they're reading out of on paper? Okay, Brother Tony, look at the word please there. What do you notice about it? Yeah, it's italicized, right? Do you know why it's italicized? Well, let's read Mark 5.23 in the King James. Did they read anything, James? Mark chapter 5, verse 23 still. And now, this is not a sermon about one type, one translation being better than any other, okay? 23 says, And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And guess what? How they've written, pray thee. Well, in the New American Standard, they wrote it, please, right? It pray thee in the King James is in italics. Interesting, isn't it? So why do you think pray thee or please might be in the italics? Sort of. It's not literally in the original text. It doesn't really say that in the original language. Okay? So why would it be there if it doesn't really say that in the original language? Why do you think it might be there? It wouldn't put it there if it's a lie, right? So why might it be there? Right, Because it's implied or it's the way the things were said, like almost pleading, right? Okay, so we look at the next one. Acts 8.34. I'm going to flip both mine at the same time. So I'll have it. I only have to do this twice. And then I'm done. There's Acts 8. Mark 8, Acts, not Acts, there we go, something like that, whatever. Anyway, here we go. 8.34 says, New American Standard, and the eunuch, you know this guy, right? He's riding a chariot, he's reading Isaiah 53, he, and, he, and Philip is there because God told him to leave the great revival, go out in the wilderness, and he's going to witness to this one man. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this? of himself or of someone else. Now notice in the New American Standard, the word please is not in italics. However, tell me is. Okay? So, we're going to read it in the King James. Uh, Acts 8, 34 says, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet? This of himself? Or of some other man. In other words, was Isaiah 53 writing about Isaiah? Or was he writing about somebody else that was to come? And But the point is, he says, I pray thee. So the King James, again, uses I pray thee. And compared to the New American Standard, which says, please tell me. And the please is not in italics, but the tell me is. And so we're beginning to get the comparison of the verses. We'll read one more. And this one is maybe the mo most um, difficult one for us to swallow. Luke 14. Luke 14, verse 19. 
I did this devotional of the out of this verse at Madhouse on Friday night, and when I got to explaining kind of what it means, the room fell deathly silent. And if you think deep on it, it, will, it can be that way for you as well, because it really challenged me to get to what the verse, what the parable ends in. Okay, it says New America Standard, Luke fourteen nineteen. Okay, means right here. And another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. There's the please. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. So basically, he's asking himself to be excused from that wedding feast that the master who represents God has prepared. Please let me be excused. I have other things to do. Okay? At the end of this parable, and this is where it's really rough, Jesus says, that the master in the story who represents God says, tells them to go out into the hedges and the highways and compel them all to come in, that my house may be filled. And they say, well, we've done all that. We've looked for him. He says, okay, go again. Find everybody possible. And then in 24, he says, for I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Interesting, isn't it? God says of those who said, please excuse me, that all of those who said, please excuse me, would not be, they would not taste of the feast. He would guarantee that there was no chance that they would come in. And this is God talking about the kingdom of God. In the verse right before it, he shows that he says the greatest, the greatest thing that happened to a person, blessed is the man who eats bread in the kingdom of God. So this is about the kingdom of God. So he's saying, I'm going to guarantee you that none of them will come into the kingdom of God. In the King James, Luke 14, 19 says, and another said, I have bought five, oak of, five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them or test them, I pray thee, have me excused. And then, later at the end of the parable, where Jesus is talking about, or where the master is talking about them not being allowed to come in, it's said this way, For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden, in other words, which were invited, shall taste of my supper. Okay? So, clearly, there is a challenge with please. Is the whole point. As we think about please, we have adapted please to mean something it did not mean. And Arden kind of cued us in on that because he had a hint of what was coming and he looked it up. And so, a bunch of words in the Bible could potentially be used as please. Only a few are and only in the American Standard. You will not find the word please, like please as in a request of someone, in the King James. Because there is no word in the Greek like that. It means I'm making a request of you, but if you don't desire what I desire, then, then refuse me. That's what please actually means. It comes from the phrase, if you please. If this will make you happy. If this is what you want. If it is your will, then so do it. So when I say, please may I have a piece of cake, you can rightly say back to me, no, I don't want to eat a piece of cake. Except now, because of worldly thinking and teaching, because it's infiltrated, we now think that anytime anyone says please, automatically we have to submit our will to them. We automatically have to give them what they've asked for. Originally, you would only say please to like a duke, a nobleman, a king. If it pleases the king, right? You might go before the king and make an honorable request, like, uh, sir, I, you know, I need to do this in this report. If it pleases you, I would like to go and release, relieve myself. And that might be a perfectly reasonable request. The king would say, no, it doesn't please me. Stand your ground. I'm tired of you having to go to court. Every time we have court, you have to go to the bathroom. Stand there. Don't care if you wet yourself. I'm the king. Had enough. Okay? If it pleases the king, then I would like to go and eat. I've not eaten in three days. If it pleases the king, I'd like to return to my unit or I'd like to eat. 
go back to my family. What if it doesn't please the king? Except that we took that whole part out and we just made it please. Like, it pleases me, so now you do what I'm asking you to do. As long as I said the magic word, right? What it means in the text, what they're, they're translating is pleases an earnest request. A real desire for the person to do what it is. And so that's been applied, that which we would only previously use for dukes and kings, lords, God, if it pleases you, if it is your will. We would only use it previously for a person of high authority. Now we use it for everybody because everybody's equal, because nobody's special, because God's not special. God's not higher than men. Kings are not special. They're not higher than commoners. But in reality, there is a hierarchy in society. And the one who can give you what it is that you ask for, you ought to ask them if it pleases you because they can give you what you ask for, right? So if, if Josh has my money, I say, Josh, if it pleases you, will you give me my money back? Because he doesn't have to. I have no authority that can require him to do that. People who go to court don't have to say please. There are no pleases in court documents. If you sue somebody, you don't put please in there. You don't even say to the court, please, may I? Right? You explain your legal argument why the court should act the way that it should. You make an earnest request. There's no pleases. And then you don't ask the court to ask the person to give you back the money, please. Right? There's no pleases because now you're acting in the realm of authority. If I have the authority, I don't have to say please. I don't have to say to my kids, hey, will you please clean your room? If it pleases you, will you clean your room? It doesn't please anybody to clean their room. Like, that's just not a thing. Okay? Now, it might need to be done. You might feel healthier for it. It might be the best thing for you, but it doesn't really please you. It might please you to organize it. It might please you the end results. But the labor, the actual physical labor, doesn't necessarily please you unless you're just sort of a cleaner. Right? And then it isn't about cleaning your room. It's about cleaning everything. Right? And by the way, somebody who just loves to clean never has to be asked if it pleases them would they clean something. They just clean it, right? All right, so we understand then <clears throat> that there are a bunch of words in the New Testament that could be used for please, but none of them really mean please, or if you please, like that. <coughs> and so all of these that we just read are humble requests earnestly made that imply a please, if you please but recognize that the requester is at the mercy of the person they are requesting. It's really only if you want to. But notice at the end, they say, please have me excused from the feast. Well, you hear the very stern nature of God, who that, that master in that story represents God, saying, I guarantee you, they will never taste of my feast. That's not vindictiveness, although you could call God vengeful. In fact, the Bible does do that. It's not vindictiveness. He's just saying firmly, I have decided, you know what pleases me? It pleases me that they never eat of the food that I prepared for them, that I warned them was coming, that I told them was available, that I sent my servants out to them. They need to go check a, a yoke of oxen. They could do that after dinner. They just got married, or they could either bring their wife or they could honor their invitation because they said they would before they got married. They could do what they're supposed to do. That's what they could do. But... It does not please me to excuse them of their obligation to come to the feast. It, oh, but it pleases me to excuse them from the feast. You follow? All right. So, this is the question that I ask myself as I look at this test, and I hope as I do this, you can follow my very same logic, okay? And so I ask myself, is it possible then that Jesus, Jesus actually teaches us not to say please? 
And if Jesus actually teaches us not to say please, then if we've been doing the wrong thing by teaching our children to say please, or teaching other ones to say please, or by recognizing in a social moray that everyone should say please all the time, anytime they want something. Okay? So that's all possible extensions of the fact that Jesus teaches us not to say please. And so these are the steps that I went through to try to answer that question. First I said, does Jesus know? Does he know that we have things we need to ask for? Does Jesus want to be asked? Does he know that we have things that we need to ask for, and does he want us to ask him? Then, does Jesus want us to ask with certain words or in certain ways? And will he re reward a repeated, if you please? If we say to him, if it's your will, if it's what you want, will he reward that if we do it? Because that's what, if we understand that's what please means, then that's what we'd be doing by saying please to him. And then lastly, what is his pleasure? What actually does please him? Are we asking God regularly, please God do this, or if it pleases you, Lord, but in truth we're asking him to do things that do not please him. All right. So those were the steps that I went through to get to the bottom of the question, is it possible that Jesus teaches us not to say please? All right. So the first one, does he know? Does Jesus know, does God know that we have questions that we would like to ask? And so the fir first place we'll go and look is in John chapter 16. So if you follow along, go to John chapter 16. Amen! Good stuff. John chapter 16, okay? And I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. We didn't. That's the first time. You can do it every time if you want. I don't care. All right, John 16, 19, okay? Jesus knew that they wished to ask him a question, and he said to them, are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while, and you will not behold me, and again a little while, and you will, not, you will see me? And so Jesus knew in advance that they wanted to ask him a question. Let's go a little further. We're going to read down. I'm not going to be able to break all the verses down. We'll read down into this story. Some of his disciples therefore said to one another, What is this thing he is telling us? A little while and you will not behold me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I go to the Father? And so they were saying, What is this that he says a little while? We did not know what he was talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him. And he said to them, are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while and you will not behold me and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. We're now in 21. Whenever a woman is, has travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more for joy the child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too now have sorrow but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one takes your joy away from you. Notice that it doesn't say that you will have sorrow after I'm gone for a while. It says you now have sorrow. So people have needs, and at least one of those needs that Jesus is recognizing is that people have questions. They need to, they want to ask him. Skip down to 28, and we'll see how this kind of goes. He says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. Jesus is talking about the needs of mankind. 
And first and foremost, he said, they have questions. They want to ask me questions. And when they had questions, by the way, did Jesus scold them? No, he explained it plainly. Jesus understands you have questions. He understands I have questions. He wants us to ask, and he wants to explain it plainly. Does it please him to answer our questions? Indeed, it does. He demonstrated that it does. Notice uh, one of the most classic Bible verses about wisdom, James 1.5. I'm going to flip there. Somebody might even have that one memorized. I amazingly got there very quickly. James chapter 1, verse 5. It says, But any of you, if any of you lacks wisdom, listen, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach. I love that phrase. And it will be given to him. So it would be good enough for God to say, If you lack wisdom, ask me. But it actually says, He gives to all men generously. And without reproach. So not only does he recognize we have questions and he has given us full authorization to come and ask those questions, but on top of that, he already said as a promise, as a statement, that he will give us the wisdom, he gives us the answer to those questions and he will do it generously and he will not look down on you for asking. So the first one was, first question was, does God know that we have questions? And the answer is, absolutely. He knows that we have questions and he has, and he has promised us He expects us to answer the questions. Which leads right into, does he want to be asked? Does he want us to ask him specifically? Look at uh, John 15. Go back to the verse, uh, book John, chapter 15. There's several for this one. John 15. This one comes up again in the later, so remember it a little bit extra, if you would. John 15, 16. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Does he want to be asked? Absolutely. In fact, he chose us so that we could go and live for him and do the things that we're supposed to do and our fruit would remain. The things that we're doing that's positive, the things that we're doing that are kingdom advanced, the things that we're doing that are Holy Spirit based, those things would remain in order that or so that, that's a hina there, which is the word that means in order that or so that in the Greek. Whatever you ask of the Father, so your fruit will remain, you will do what you're supposed to do. He chose us so that, that would happen so that whatever we ask of God, he can give it to us. Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. Matthew cha- the question is, does God want to be asked? Matthew chapter 9, verse 38 and 39. Which is right toward the end of the chapter. Jesus is speaking, this is during his lifetime, and he tells the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And the his is capitalized. It's a reference to God. So ask God to send out workers into the harvest. And I love this reference because in chapter 10, what happens? Anybody know what happens without reading it right now? He beseech God to send out workers into the harvest. And then what does Jesus do? He sends the disciples out into the harvest. So God wants to be asked And then he has an answer, and you just might be the answer under certain circumstances. So we ask God, God, please take care of that person and find out that it's our job to take care of that person. God, please win the world to Jesus. Find out it's our job to share the gospel and so on. 
He summons the twelve disciples. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. The, the disciples are named, and then he sent them out, instructing them, saying, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this is the first time he sent them out. In response to him telling them, pray and beseech God. God wants to be asked. Did they have to pray to God in order to be sent out? I don't think so. Jesus could have sent them out. Did they have to pray to God in order for workers to be sent out? I don't think so. Because all they had to do is say, Jesus, what do you want us to do? And Jesus could have said, go out, and they would have went out, and workers would be sent out. That's God sending workers out. It's all done. God wants to be asked. There's a process. He wants to be asked. <clears throat> in chapter 7 of Matthew, beginning in verse 2, so just a little bit to the left, Matthew 7, beginning in 2, it says, For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You're hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, which, by the way, that means we are supposed to cut out sin. We talked about that last week. We read these verses last week. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it shall be given to you. He wants us to ask so that he can give. Not so that he can give or because he will give. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, how know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good, listen, to those who ask him. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them by this, for this is the law and the prophets. And everybody gets wrapped up in that last part, that last part and forgets to say, ask him, ask him, ask him. Matthew 18, we're almost done with the second point. To the right, into, still in Matthew. These last two are both in Matthew. Okay. Matthew 18, 19. <clears throat> Does God want us to ask, is the question. 18, 19. He says this, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Notice there are two factors. We always quote the one. Let us agree together. But it's that they may ask. Let us agree to ask together. We ask God Together, does God want us to ask? Absolutely. And then the last one is Matthew 21, 22. And the sermon is half over, believe it or not. Children will be so disappointed. Matthew 21, 22. It says this. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. There's two parts. First, you've got to recognize God wants you to ask and do it. Ask God. And then believe. That God has your best interests at heart. That God will answer your prayers according to what they are. According to what he knows is right. First question was, does he know that we have questions? Second question was, does he 
want us to ask? And, I, and both of those questions we can affirmatively, absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, answer yes. Does God want us to ask in certain words or certain ways? In certain words or certain ways. This one's a little tricky. You know already if you're a Bible scholar, and if you're not, you'll know as soon as I say it, we're going to go to Matthew 6, which is where the Lord's Prayer, which is what people call the Lord's Prayer. Ironically, it's a prayer that Jesus probably never prayed. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 7. A little run-up. Okay, Matthew 6, 7. And when you are praying, okay, so the question here is, are we supposed to do this in certain words or certain ways? When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition. I mean, don't just keep going over and over again certain phrases. As the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So they think that they will win over. That's the child who says, may I have a cookie? The answer is no. Dinner's almost coming. Please, please, please. But mom, please. They think they will get their way. And sadly, they sometimes do, which is about the worst thing you can do to a child, by the way. Okay? At least if you don't count all the really evil things. Like abuse. That could be a form of abuse, I suppose. Anyway, therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need. God knows, we already saw this, didn't we? That he knows we have needs, and he wants us to ask him. He knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. So the problem is that people start to think that this is the only way you can pray. These are the only words you can use. But that's not what he means, is it? That you can only use these words? Now, if you don't have these words memorized, by the way, I highly recommend you do that. But then don't ever let yourself fall in the trap that this is the only prayer you pray. As I said, Jesus probably never prayed this prayer. He just taught them this is the model or this is how you pray. And it says, pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, it shows a respect for God. Right? Recognize that God is still on the throne. Holy, hallowed means holy. You're different. You're special. Your name is powerful. Don't ever let it be something mundane, right? That's why we shouldn't be taking the Lord's name in vain, saying, oh God, I just dropped my Coke. You know, God God knows you dropped your Coke. You know, Lord, I'm sorry I dropped my Coke, or Lord, I, I promise I'll clean up my mess, or Lord, help me clean up the mess. All those things might be appropriate, but oh God, I dropped my Coke. It's not, that's not appropriate. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. Thy kingdom come, he says. In other words, God, you rule here in me and on the earth. Thy will be done. That means whatever pleases you, let that be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just as you are firmly and completely and absolutely in control and nothing happens in heaven that is not within your will, which is why we need to be reborn again, by the way, before we can go to heaven because then otherwise we would go there and do what we want and, and what we want is not good. Right? So, he says, on earth as it is in heaven, total will of God. That's what I desire. I want God's will to be done. Give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't say, please give us our daily bread. He says, God, give us this day our daily bread, recognizing that God is the one who sustains you, provides for you, and so on, and asking God for that which you need. He says, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. In other words, as we forgive others, God, please forgive us. And do not lead us into temptation. God doesn't want to lead people in temptation. There's a place in the Word where it says that he never tempts. But the point is, God is going to lead you to a place, hopefully not to temptation. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. So you can go to a place where you might be tempted, but God never tempts. And this is saying, God, please never lead us to a place where we'll be tempted. But deliver us from evil. And this evil here is a singular, it is, there is one evil. The same evil is the little white lie, is the same evil that is Satan, 
is evil spirits, is demons, is stealing, is slander, is molestation, is murder. There is one evil. And this prayer is us being released from that evil, being delivered from it, that we will not conduct it or be victim to it. For thine is the kingdom, because you own the kingdom of God and you control what happens there. And the power, you have the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And he, as a side note, Jesus says, if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive, forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions, which is a pretty tough verse, to, two verses to swallow as well. But our question was, well, we're supposed to pray in certain ways and certain words. And Jesus is actually teaching us to pray in a certain way, isn't he? Not with certain words, but in a certain way. The cultists prayed with certain words and they repeated them over and over and over again. They said what they wanted over and over again, thinking that that would win their God or their demon or whatever over to give them what it was that they were asking for. And Jesus says, don't you do that. No vain repetitions. Not that way, but this way. Recognizing his authority, recognizing that he wants what he wants already, what he is doing, praying for him to do what he already wants to do and giving them the glory and the honor all along. And also in this way, you pray for forgiveness and you need that, by the way. Forgiveness, you pray for that. Make sure when you pray for forgiveness that you have already forgiven or you are actively forgiving all those that you have to forgive. So there is a way. And there is a hint here of certain words that you might use, not specific words, right? So we don't have to end every prayer in Jesus' name, though we have to pray every prayer in Jesus' name because we already read, if you pray, whatever you pray in my name, right? So there is a way. We pray in his name. We pray in the name of Jesus. We pray for Jesus, with Jesus, in Jesus. Philippians 4.13, which is that verse that we always quote, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It actually comes from Philippians 4, which is a passage about prayer. And it says that we can deal with the things of our life. We have been adjusted. We can accept. We can tolerate. We can persist as we join together in prayer. As we pray in his name, as we accept his will, as we follow the Lord, as we realize he is the one in charge, and so on. And then, remember back in John 15, 16, he said, the things you pray in my name, the Father will give you. So does God expect us to pray in certain words? Not so much. In certain ways? Yes. So let's go back to the beginning. Does he know we need to ask? Does he want us to ask? Both yes. Does he expect us to pray in certain words? Not so much, although your words should be honorable. In certain ways? Yes. So then the question is, will God reward a repeated if you please? If you say over and over again, God, if you please, if you please, if you please, heal me. If you please, if you please, if you please, give me. If you please, if you please, if you please, take care of me. If you do that over and over again, will God reward your repetitious behavior? Well, remember what it said, no vain repetitions, right? So you can't just say, if it's your will, Lord, please heal me. If it's your will, please heal me. And just keep saying that over and over again, and it suddenly becomes God's will. There are no spells or incantations to change what is God's will. Is it God's will that you be healed? That's not a loaded question. Is it God's will that you be healed? Yes, it is always God's will that you be healed. When you pray, God, if it is your will that I should be healed, please heal me. That is a vain repetition and nothing more. You are trying to entreat God to do what God already wants to do as if somehow... By you saying certain words, you can trick him into thinking it was his idea. 
He already loves you. He already wants to heal of every woe that is in your life. However, he also wants you something so much better, right? He wants you to endure. He wants you to be strong. He wants you to go to heaven when you die. He wants you to have eternal life with him. He wants you to be in the kingdom of God where his will is generally done. I submit to you, if you're praying repetitiously for God to do something and you keep saying, if it be your will, if it be your will, if it be your will, there is no reward for the repetition of that statement. Except maybe one day you will realize that you should actually be praying if it's his will. Not just saying, if it's his will, over and over and over again. Because you don't really mean it. The truth is, if you pray just one time, just one time, and meant every word you prayed, and you prayed it in the name of Jesus. And if you're just concerned or afraid it might not come true, you could unite with other brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for that one thing. You could put all these things into practice, just pray just one time, and that would settle it. And it'll be done, right? And yet we pray in vain repetition certain things. Oh, Lord, God, Father of the universe, Father, my God, Lord of the universe, if it should be your will, please heal me today. Let me say your name a few more times in case, God, you don't know that I'm talking to you, God, your Father, my, my Lord. People get together to pray right now. You stand in a circle and you get around to that guy who prays, Lord, God, my Father, maker of the universe, holy God of heaven, seven times, but in the middle of it, he says, bless your people. And I'm not saying that that's a sin, but I'm saying if you're doing that as a vain repetition just to do it to sound good or to feel good about what you're praying, you are not achieving anything at all. The probability is if you have to say God seven times in your prayer, you're probably not praying to God. If you don't know where your letter is addressed to, it isn't going to arrive at the person to whom it is addressed. If you send your letter to my house, to get what you want from God, it ain't going to happen. I'm not God. I can no more entreat God or, or speak to God any better than any other believer who has trusted Jesus Christ because the, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And you know where righteousness comes. The righteousness of God comes through the sacrifice of Jesus who was made sin for us. It's the verse backwards, but that's what it says. He was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might have the righteousness of God through him. Not the power of God or the ability to pray and, be, pray and be answered, but the righteousness of God. And so you pray and you talk to God and your prayers are just as good as mine or anyone else's. Address your letter to the right place one time. Make sure you're praying to God and you don't have to say his name 17 times while you're praying. And the truth is, if you do, you're probably not praying to God. You're trying to keep the attention of some evil spirit or demon that doesn't want to do anything good for you anyway. Only wants to drag you into the mud. But the God of the universe knows you. He knows your deepest concerns. And so the model of this prayer is to recognize his authority, to submit yourself to his authority, to ask for the things that you genuinely need in plain and simple terms, not with 47 pleases or, or, or Hail Marys or 17, oh my God, I'm in so much troubles. Just God, here I am. These are the concerns of my life and I fully submit myself to you because you have all the power and authority. Thine is the kingdom and the honor and the glory, not mine. Not by my words or by my feelings. But that doesn't settle that matter. The question was, will he reward a repeated if you please? And I'm basically saying to you, he won't. Except, flip in your Bibles if you're following along to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We've got one point left to, to the question and then the conclusion. Luke chapter 18. 
Amen. Here we go. We're going to Luke chapter 18. This is a good one. They're all good, but it's a really good one. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. So you don't even have to hunt for it. 18.1. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. So you keep praying and you're persistent. You don't quit. You don't fail. You don't fall apart. You keep praying. You talk to God. We already know he wants us to ask. We already know he, he wants to answer. Uh, he knows we have questions. He wants us to ask. And, he, and there's certain ways we can ask. And now we're told to keep praying always and not to lose heart, saying there was a certain city. There wasn't a certain city, a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. In other words, this guy's a jerk. He's a sinner. He's wicked. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while, he was unwilling. He's like, Just get away from me. I don't have to. You can't pay me. I don't have to do anything for you. But afterward, he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Lest by continually coming, she wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the righteous judge said. Now shall God bring about his justice for his elect who cried to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will you have quit praying? Will you have quit talking to God, asking God for the things that you need to understand, the things that you want to understand? Because that's the definition of faith. You know, you ought to pray and persist. Don't let your heart be troubled by the things. In the parable of the four soils, parable of the sower, one of the soils, the thorns comes up and it chokes out the growth. The cares of this life. I get it. You're hurt. I get it. Bad things happened. I get it. I don't know your situation. I don't know your emotions. I don't know how you feel. We're all individual. We all feel our pain. I guarantee you that if we went around the room, we could list such a pain that we would all just die from morose. We'd be like, oh, I don't ever want to go to that church again. We all got all the things going on. It's, it's so bad. But in the midst of that, pray and persist. If your heart is for and with God, then he'll use your attention. So I said, will he reward a repeated if you will? The answer is not, he will reward it and give you what you want. His will is not necessarily going to be changed, right? But there is a reward for it, and the reward is you will be found faithful. Now, I'm not saying that means that you should say please 17 times the next time you pray. What I'm saying is that every prayer you ever pray, even if you don't say please, should be couched in the understanding and the belief that God alone is in charge. That baffled as I am why my loved one suffers so or why my job was taken from me or why my bills can't be paid or why I can't make the money that I want to make doing the thing that I want to do or why my good friend who I've shared Christ with seven times already has not believed or why my brothers or sisters are doing what they should not do. Baffled as I am by by that, when I go to the Lord, I must accept that if he does not change whatever it is that I am praying for, that he has a higher purpose in mind. And when you can pray, admitting willingly that God doesn't have to do anything for you, that frankly you do not deserve a single answered prayer, that you deserve, you get grace because of God's goodness, not because of your prayers or your righteousness or the good choices that you have made or because you 
repeat certain phrases or you know the language or you've more, memorized more Bible verses than anyone else or went to a Bible class and got the, the secrets of the universe explained to you by some guy who makes $90,000 a year. If any of that weighs in your thinking in any way, shape, or form, you are not praying to God the way that he has told us to pray to him and of course your prayers are not going to be answered. You've forgotten that God loves you and he knows you have questions and he wants you to pray and there is a way that he wants you to pray and that he wants you to persist even when you cannot understand why things are the way they are. Sometimes I submit to you that God allows, and we, this was sort of mentioned in, as we're inspirational leaders, God allows us to perceive that the answers to our prayers are not be given, being given the way that we wanted them to come so that we have an opportunity to persist in faithfulness and obedience and become the kind of person that God is trying to make us into. I don't know what percent of your hardships is because God is disciplining you, which you deserve way more than you ever get because of the grace of God. What percent of your hardships are because the enemy is attacking you and God has not sufficiently defended you to stop the enemy from striking into your life? which, by the way, you deserve because it is grace that God defends us at all. But what percentage of our hardships are because of our own fault or the faults of our loved ones or the decaying nature of creation? No one can sort those things out. Well, not no one. God can. He knows exactly what of your troubles are because of what. And so when we look at our troubles and we begin to pray in vain repetition because we hope that God will move to go in the right direction, or we begin to pray with the wrong heart. So we'll pray to anyone who's listening. We'll do anything for us in our difficult situation because the God of the universe who demands sacrifice of you, who demands suffering of you, who demands you to live your whole life for him, who demands you to take up your cross daily and die, that God has not given you what you wanted. So you'll go to anywhere, any way, any kind of God, any kind of church, any kind of preacher, any kind of word, any kind of interpretation or transliteration whatever, to feel like you were getting what it is that you wanted to get. To please, not God, but you. And now we're back to the cookie illustration. God, can I have a new car? A new car is not good for you. You don't need a new car. I'm not going to give you a new car. Please, God? Please, God? Well, if God loved me, he would answer my prayers. It says right there, I even prayed it in the name of Jesus. I got my brother-in-law in Texas to pray also. The two of us are praying I get a new car. I didn't get a new car. So obviously, I'm going to pray something I'm doing is wrong. We tweak, we adjust, pray to a different God. Lastly, what is God's pleasure? What is his pleasure? Just a couple verses. Ephesians uh, chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This was passed it twice. Almost there, I'll get there. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 5. He predestined us, that means he chose us before we knew anything, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. So through Jesus, we would become sons and daughters of God, according to the kind intention of his will. You know what God wants for you? I'm going to say it bluntly, but I, I am overstating it slightly. Just understand that God doesn't care if you're healthy. He doesn't care if you get what you want. He doesn't care if all your bills are paid. He doesn't care. If, it's all grist for the mill. As long as you become, in earnest, a child of God. Someone is sitting here right now who would claim the name of Jesus. 
God knows whether or not your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And he will allow you to endure any number of things or be blessed in any number of ways in order to lead you at the moment in which you would truly become a child of God. I don't know the recipe. I don't know what all is going to happen in your life or even in mine. But I know that when I die, I want to go straight to heaven. I know that I want to live my life for the Lord. And so I know that when I pray to God, I need to have an attitude in saying, Lord, I have as my will what you desire most, which is that I become a true child of God. Whether my son does, whether my daughter does, whether my husband or my wife does, whether my grandparents do, whether my parents do, whether my pastor does, whether my team leader does, whether anybody else does or not, first and foremost, God, I want what you want, which is that I become adopted as a child in your kingdom. That's what he desires. And that goes beyond most of the things that we desire on a daily basis. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and we just really need verse 32. That's all we really need because it's sort of self-explanatory. 12.32. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. God wants to give you the kingdom of God. Everything else is a run-up to that day. Anybody here ever watch one of the shows on TV that that talks about the kings and queens of England. Watched, uh, I watched one recently on Netflix, and and there's another one that I can't watch because it's it's rated TVMA, and I don't watch TVMA or rated R shows. But there's a lot of them, and there, there's been a time, a couple of times, where a king or a queen was named. They are the heir, what's called the heir apparent. Then their parent passes away, and they're going to become king or queen. They're going to inherit the kingdom. One time in the history of England, the man who was supposed to inherit the king of England decided he did not want to be king before he was coronated. Well, once he goes up there and he gets the oil on his head, the priest puts that there, the crown on his head, whatever, he's the king, he's the one that God chose, and there's no going back. You can't unbe king, right? You're king when you're king. But until you're coronated, until you're named as king, until the priest blesses you, until the whole country recognizes you as king, you can't be king. And one time in the history of England, one king decided not to be king. But every time in the history of England, of England, the king or queen endured a lot up to their coronation to actually get there. And Zane, you have not gotten your crown yet. You are a king or a queen in training. It is God's desire to ultimately give you the kingdom of God. Do you understand what that means? Ultimately, it is the entire new heaven and new earth that will be given over into your hands. So you like trees, you get them all. You like ground, you get it all. You like clouds, you get them all. You, get, you like stars, they're all yours. All of it. We get the new kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth in the day when we get our crown. Right now, this is all preparation for that. This is all preparation for that. One last verse under what's his pleasure, Matthew 26. Matthew 26. And we just have the conclusion, which has a couple verses too. Matthew chapter 26, in verse 39. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39 says this. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will but as thou wilt. And guess what? 
it wasn't applied. Because the crucifixion was the moment in time at which Jesus became sin for us, that we might have the righteousness of God through him. It was not his will to answer the prayer of his own son the way he might have desired. But did just did Jesus get what he prayed for? So many people say, no, he didn't. God, he did get what he prayed for, didn't he? What did he pray for? God's will. He got exactly what he prayed for. His prayer was exactly answered. So if you pray, pardon me. Apparently I didn't turn that off. Either. If you pray, God's will be done, you will always get the answer to your prayer. All right, so what's the conclusion? Quick recap. Does he know we have questions? Yes. Does he want us to ask? Yes. In certain words, not so much. In certain ways, absolutely. Will he reward a repeated if you please? Not a repeated spoken if you please, per se, but a lived if you please every time you pray will be rewarded. You have to remain faithful and you will be found faithful when the Son of Man comes again. So if you want to ask using please, then ask using please. But know it means your will be done. Whatever pleases you. Stop thinking your pleas to God means I'm a little bit more likely to get what I ask for. That's not true. It means the word please comes from the phrase, if you please. And so it means, God, your will be done. Here's what I need. I think I need. Now you show me what I really need. That's what it means. And so if you want to say please, fine. But know when you say please, it means your will be done. Or maybe you just want to use that phrase, thy will be done, as Jesus did. But be careful. Don't use it as a vain repetition. This is what God wants. God wants us to know his will, to pray his will, to do his will. In Romans 12, 1 through 3, verses you may know, don't be conformed, be transformed. And in the end it says, and you will know his will and good pleasure. Follows immediately on Romans 11, 33 through 36, which I will read. And I only have one reference after this. And it's a good one. Okay, so we're in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Remember, this comes right before chapter 12, 1. There were no chapter divisions back in the day where he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Right before that, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Have you told God what he should do? Please, God, please, God. Have you told him what he should do? That would be becoming his counselor. He says, or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? So when you're asking for God, do you deserve any good thing? Did you loan your life to God and now you're taking it back? That's all a bunch of hogwash. You never gave God anything to deserve anything back from him. All It's all grace. For, for from him and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then they naturally put the chapter division there because there's an amen before he says, So I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Ending with, That you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Hear me now when I say, God wants to 
show you what he wants. And you asking him is part of that process. Oh, just turn pushing the button. Okay, now it's off. Sorry about that. I'll cut that out of the podcast. All right. (laughs) All right. And then one last thing I want you to see, Jesus' example in this area. Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven, not that I should do my will, but the will of the one I came to do what the Father wants me to do. But he also said this, John chapter 4. And this is the last verses I'll read, and we're done. John chapter 4, 31. John chapter 4, verse 31. In the meanwhile, so this is during that whole episode with the woman at the well in Samaria, right? And then they come back and they find Jesus and the woman is gone and she hasn't come back yet. And it says, beginning in verse 31, in the meanwhile, the disciples were requesting him. They're talking to Jesus saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples were therefore saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat. Did he? Jesus said to him, to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And then he goes on to give an illustration from farming, basically. In verse 38 it says, I sent you to reap that which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Do you understand that the verse where Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. This verse is the most challenging thing we're going to see in the sermon. And I'm going to say it as plainly and point blank as I can, and it is this. If you get your heart right, and you get your mind right, and what you want is the will of God, doing the will of God could replace something like eating your life. Now, I can eat every day. I mean, I've passed maybe a couple of days, but come on. This is what Jesus, if it was this important to you, if God's will in earnest was what you desired, you could literally go without anything, still be resurrected, still in the kingdom of God, pray and have your prayers answered, living for the Lord. You could go without even food. Jesus went without food. You know how long a human being can go without food before they start to get really sick? Take a stab at it. Say it again. Uh, they get really sick before a month, but a month is about the maximum anybody can live without food. And you have to have water to do it, maybe some vitamins or something. Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. And I submit to you, it was not because he was God. It was because he desired one thing above all other things. The will of God. That's what we need to accomplish. We have to get out of bed in the morning and say, good or bad, in my opinion, However this day goes, I just want one thing. God's will to be done. This is life. Seeking his will daily. Reaching new heights in Jesus and asking him throughout that life lived for him, saying, your will be done, if you please. But you have to ask and keep asking. Dial his number often. Verse Thessalonians, it says, pray without ceasing. It doesn't say please without ceasing. It doesn't say keep shipping your Christmas lists to God. It says pray without ceasing. So we talk to God all the time. 
with certain words? Not really. In certain ways? Absolutely. In one way in particular? Yes. As if he is the God of the universe, still on his throne, in charge of everything, and you are his heir. Now, how does an heir talk to his father? Does he say, if you please? Yes. Does he say, please, 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 come on? No. Because that's not the behavior of someone who's going to inherit the kingdom of God. So knock it off. He wants you to ask. And he will give according. And what you have to do then, and what I have to do, is come about his will. And submit, if you will, to that will. Before you start thinking, I mean, that sounds like a rough road. Jesus got crucified. Yeah, we will all die for Jesus before we're through, unless Jesus comes again first. If you're living for Jesus, you will die for Jesus. You may die from cancer or a car, car accident or a heart attack, but if you die and you're living for Jesus, you will die for Jesus because Jesus has waited to come back. God is holding him back until everyone can come in that will come in or, or when God says the day. Because you said, even I don't know the exact day of my second coming when he was on earth. And you die to self today, continually recognizing that God alone is in charge and reaching new heights in that. So, each day you don't get something you want, you use that as a stepping stone to better control your self-discipline, to better be faithful to God, to better do what you're supposed to do, to better be respectful, and you get up the next day and do it again. God's will be done. And I hope you or I, neither one of us ever have to be crucified, literally, or ever get shot for our faith. I hope that never happens. But if it does, the day that it happens, I hope you will have had a history and a strength saying, your will, not my will, be done. Or you're going to scream like a little girl, begging God, please, God, please, God, no. And your prayers will not even be directed at God because you won't even know God. You don't have his address. Instead, I say, let us talk to God daily with this in mind. His will be done. So go ahead, say please, but me. Thank you for listening to this sermon and worship from New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. You can look us up online at newheightsfellowshipchurch.org, newheightsfellowshipchurch.org. You can also join our texting group by texting INFO, that's INFO as in info, to 419-419-0095, 419-419-0095. Thanks and God bless. Continue to reach New Heights in Jesus wherever you are.